Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I am joined today, as always, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello. We are very excited to have you joining us today. And of course, we would love to know who you are. So send us an email uh, and, and tell us that uh, information uh, by sending us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. We would really love to hear from you, our audience members. Um, we're just always interested to hear who's listening to the show, what your background is, how you heard about us, how long you've been listening you know, just, just we want information about our audience because we, we enjoy hearing about the people who hear about us. Also, check out our show website, which is trdshow.net. We've got a whole bunch of stuff there. If you haven't checked it out already, you're missing out on a ton of new features. So definitely check that out. Sign up for our newsletter, trdshow.net slash newsletter. All sorts of cool stuff in that that our mom produces and exports. Um she does it three times a week now, three days a week, and there's so much in there. If you're not signed up for the newsletter, you're missing out on so much stuff. So definitely make sure you do that, trdshow.net slash newsletter. So today is Wednesday. It is Literature Wednesday, and for those of you who are new to the show, that uh, means that uh, every month, and now it's kind of turning into every two months, um, we read a new piece of literature, a new piece of principled literature on the show. So we've gone through things like Millstones and Stumbling Blocks by Bradley Heath, talking about Christian education. We've gone through The Confessional County by Raymond Simmons, talking about how to make your county a confessional county, a biblical county. We've gone through God and Government, Volumes 1A and 2 by Gary Namar. We've gone through Presuppositional Apologetics Stated and Defended by Dr. Greg Bonson. We've gone through Mother Kirk by Doug Wilson. Just a ton of good, principled, solidly Christian books to help you develop a profoundly biblical worldview. So that's kind of what Literature Wednesday is all about. This month, we've been covering what is on both of our shelves here, you can see, is Christian Nationalism by Andrew Torba. Yeah, there's Jake's right over there. So Christian Nationalism by Andrew Torba and uh, Andrew Iskar. I think that's Isker. Iskar? I don't know how to say his last name. Isker, maybe. Let's go with that. And uh, so we've been talking about that. And we have so much to talk about today. We're going to split our time a little bit. We went through chapter three uh, this past week. And so we're going to split our time and talk a little bit about the word nationalism, how it relates to Christian nationalism, and about really our position on using that term and why maybe using the term Christian nationalism may not be the best term to use. But as we've been doing this entire time, we are going to define what we actually mean by Christian nationalism and maybe some alternative ways of stating that. But after we get through that, we're going to talk about uh, chapter three in Andrew Torba's book, Christian Nationalism. But before we get into all of that, we have to do what we always do every episode, and we have to talk about our verse of the week. And today's Wednesday. So I'm going to pass it over to Jake to do just that. Alrighty, and our verse this week is found in Hebrews 10, verses 35 through 36. Therefore, and it, and it says, sorry, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. End quote. And 
uh, kind of my breakdown of this and where I go a little bit differently than Bruce uh, in speaking about something different is that I take from this, do not throw away your confidence as sort of also applying to your confidence in faith, having good faith and staying strong in the faith and in your faith specifically, because we have so much in our culture now that it's like, you always need to be questioning your faith, like whether you're really saved or not, questioning your salvation. And so I think with this, it's it's saying that we need to be confident in that, that we, that we need to stop, you know, doing that, focus on other things and move on. And, but I still think that our culture is stuck in that to where we need to keep, oh, you're not really saved or you don't think you're really, or you, you can't be confident in your salvation or, uh, but I, I think we should be confident in our salvation. If we are, if we are providing fruit, if we are producing fruit and that, that's how we know if we are, if we have faith, uh, not that we are saved by works. I know people may think that, but that's not what we're saying. It is that we, um, we know that we are saved because of our works, um, because of of our fruit, and there are multiple passages that point to point to that. But another aspect of this verse, and what what I covered um, on our topic episode, and will cover on our topic episode, uh, is that uh, this next part of it: for you have need of endurance, and saying that endurance is something that you need when you're running or that you need when you're doing something active. You don't need endurance to sit on a, on a couch. So you need this endurance when you're actually doing something, when you have this action. So it's saying there that you need to be doing something to have endurance for. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. Really good point. Yeah. And, and so in, in a lot of ways, in both the ways that Jacob and I have articulated thus far um, this week, this verse, uh, these verses, two verses, are meant to be very encouraging to the Christian. They're meant to kind of like what our verse did last week. They're meant to pick you up off the ground, get you back on your feet and say, hey, let's get back to work. And the question then comes down to, okay, we understand we are to be encouraged. We understand Christ has uh, has died on the cross, instituted a new covenant that we are part of for us to get to work and to do things. But what is it we're supposed to be doing? And what is it we're meant to be working for? And I think one of the best summaries, again, it's a summary because Christ stated this all throughout uh, his teachings and this is building on what God has uh, already uh, revealed to us in the Old Testament. But one of the best summaries of what our work is that we should be doing and, and, and getting done and working towards is found in Matthew chapter 8 or uh, Matthew 28, um, where we find that we are to make disciples of all nations. And that's a very broad summarizing of what we're meant to do. But when you make a nation a disciple of Christ, that means that every part of that nation is supposed to be doing what the Bible tells it to do. So 
what that also implies is that the Bible speaks to every area of life. So what we have been attempting to do on this show is a study for ourselves. What are all the things that the Bible says about society? And it will take lifetimes to study all of that because there's so much to, to understand and, and learn, but also to share it with you. So as we read through these books, like Christian, Christian nationalism by Andrew Torba, as we read through things like the confessional County or God and government, uh, or even mother Kirk talking about structuring the church. All of that is meant to help us and help you grow in your understanding of how God has told us to structure societies and how the Bible relates to all areas of life. <clears throat> so the question remains, what is it we're supposed to be getting to work doing? People try to define this in different ways. So we try to um, sum this up, try to find phrases and ways to state this. Some people have stated it under a term like theonomy. Some people have termed it uh, the confessional county. Some have termed it Christian nationalism. Terms and words are important. The words that we use are important and words have meaning. So I, I want to take a little bit of time right now and describe and, and delve into the definition of Christian nationalism. And in order to really do that, we have to understand what nationalism is and why we're modifying it with the with Christians specifically. Why are we taking nationalism and then modifying it and saying this is not just nationalism, it's Christian nationalism? What does that actually mean? So so we've done a little bit of research, but we're really just gonna mainly be discussing this. And um Jacob has actually pulled up um, some definitions of nationalism. So do you want to just read through what we found on those? Yeah, so um, there were three different definitions, um, but I'm only going to go through the first two because I think the first two are what we're trying to state as in our overall point. Um, but the first one I would say is not an apt definition of what we mean when we say Christian nationalism. However, it is probably the most common definition and what people think of when they hear Christian nationalism. And that definition would be uh, devotion, especially excessive or undiscriminating devotion to the interests or, or culture of a particular nation state. We're not saying that our devotion is in um, a Christian state. Our devotion is in Christ and therefore it affects the state. Yeah, And so... This one is not an apt definition as to what nationalism means in our case when saying Christian nationalism. So, but people think of nationalism this way. And that's because this is how our world has termed it. And we need to get away from worldly definitions and move to Christian definitions. So I would say that we need to keep Christian nationalism the way it is. I don't think we should change that definition just change people's perspective on that definition. Yeah. Um, but the second one is the belief that nations will benefit from acting independently rather than co collectively, emphasizing national rather than international goals. Mm. And this kind of means what we're talking about. Um, I think this is kind of true that when you're on an international scale, it becomes less and less involved by the people which is a very biblical 
ideal of the people controlling the the state. But as you get more international, it's less and less controlled by the people. Uh, whereas a national is closer to this. So it is closer to a biblical value. But I would say nationalism for us is the nation, a Christian nationalism is basically for us saying a Christian nation in a, uh, a devotion to God, which creates a Christian nation. And, and so this Christian nationalism is wanting a Christian nation. Uh, so that, and that's, and that's how I would define it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the facets of this is that um, we don't worship the nation that we're in, right? So we're commanded against idolatry. So worshiping, uh, for instance, the American flag or America as a nation because it's a nation and we like it as a nation, worshiping that and putting it above Christ is not something we do. Now, does that mean that respecting your nation and appreciating it for its values is wrong? No. Absolutely not. If you want to hang an American flag because you believe that it uh, stands for the principles it was originally founded on, which it was originally founded on the word of God, that was its ultimate standard back in the day when it was founded. And if you understand that it no longer means that people probably aren't going to take it that way, but you still want to fly it because you'll explain and have that conversation that, hey, I'm flying this American flag because of what it used to mean, not what it means now, then great. But there's a reason we don't put the American flag in our church services, because as Christians, A, we don't say America is better than all of the other countries just because. The only reason America would ever be better than the other countries is because it's following and holding to the word of God. As soon as it stops doing that, it's no longer better than any of the other countries, no matter how economically fruitful it is. So you yeah. and you cannot put an American flag in a service uh, to God and say we are and elevated to the same level as the Word of God, elevated to the same level of everything else in the service by by putting it there on the stage and pretending like everything's fine. That's a form of idolatry, and it's very very shaky ground to be on. So, but that's an example of nationalism. Um, in one of the ways Jacob just defined it nationalism as in worshiping the country you live in, the nation you live in and loving that nation just because you were born there and you like it. Right. And that's not what we're going for with Christian nationalism. And we've stated the definition of Christian nationalism multiple times. We've restated that, but maybe the term itself isn't exactly the best term to use. What I like um, to use is, is Christendom or the kingdom of God or uh, working for the kingdom of God. Those, those terms are more biblical terms. And they immediately take you back to, hey, this is not us. This is Christ. Christendom is Christ's kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not Jacob's kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's Christ's kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, not us, not of us. It's, it's the kingdom of God. So we need to make sure and, and reassert the fact that that's what we are working for. It's not our own little kingdoms. We're working for the kingdom of God. So hopefully we've made, we've kind of redefined Christian nationalism um, and put some of those 
to, to rest. And we can point people at this clip to kind of help them redefine it. So, okay, let's get into, oh, and by the way, Jacob, thank you so much for reading that out and giving your thoughts and perspectives on that. I really appreciate it. It's really well said. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into chapter three of Andrew Torba's book, Christian Nationalism. <laughs> um, and I, I have three sections that I want to talk about. So I want to talk about God's truth is the only truth and we must preach it. Then I want to get into not squaring against the enemy on their ground. And then I want to move into a call to action. As always, I like to, Andrew Torba does a great job with these calls to action. Um, and my call to action is we'll never Christianize this nation if we don't get to work. That's kind of been his common theme. So I'm going to reiterate that with some of his quotes in a slightly different way. So let's first talk about God's truth is the only truth. And we must preach that. That has to be what we preach from our pulpits. That's must be how we live, how we act as if God is the ultimate arbiter of truth. We have to believe that. Um, by remaining silent about the principles that God has laid out in his word as truth, we are essentially denying them. That's a point we really can't overstate. When pastors refuse to preach on how the individual, the family, the church, and the civil governments are supposed to act according to scripture, they are in effect denying that God's word applies to these areas. And they're not preaching that. They're basically denying that God God has anything to say about these things. We need strong pulpits. This is a very common cry nowadays, which is encouraging to see, but we're all going to keep crying for it, calling for it, working for it until it becomes a reality. And we can't let up now. We need strong pulpits if America is ever going to be a strong Christian nation again. We need pulpits preaching the whole council of God, not just their own favorite pet peeves, not just, um, you know, the basic limited gospel message. Um, we need the full counsel of God preached from the pulpits. How does every area of society, how is it meant to be structured according to the word of God? <clears throat> Page 47, Andrew Torba has a great quote. He said, we may live in a post-truth world, but that doesn't mean that the objective truth that has been revealed to us through God's word will not stand the tests of a world gone mad. Going against the truth of God's design for men, women, children, and families is like going against gravity. Eventually, you're going to fall back to earth, end quote. And that's so true. I mean, trying to pretend like God's word doesn't apply to all areas of life, not living that way, will only cause your own demise. It's not going to make it any less true. It's not going to mean that God's going to say, oh, all right, never mind. Have it your way. God is going to do that to some effect, and you're not going to like it because that's what he does to a nation when he judges them. He gives them over to their own desires, Romans chapter one, to their own passions. And it's a scary place to be. Uh, Page 48, Andrew Torba said, if Christians are denying God's truth when it's right in front of their faces, we have a big problem and we need to course correct quickly. The only way to do that is by speaking the truth loudly, boldly, and often, end quote. Very true. And so we see throughout scripture that it's not just pastors. It's also the people going to the churches. It's also you as individuals speaking up in all areas of life and having conversations and living 
the way that the Bible has called you to live. Working, doing your work is unto the Lord. Um, caring for the poor and needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, not avoiding them, not just hunkering down in your house and Netflix and chill, but spending time with them, which yes, is goes against our current modern day nature. And it will seem a little strange, but that's, that's kind of the point. If you see your neighbor out walking about and you're, you know, getting out of your car, go talk to them, have conversations with them, share with them what the Bible says, the wisdom of the word of God and get them to come to church. That's how we change nations and countries. That is Christian nationalism. Page 49, Andrew Torba said, this is a spiritual battle, and therefore we must use spiritual weapons to expose and fight the enemies of truth, including when those enemies of truth happen to be our brothers and sisters in Christ, end quote. So when we have Christians, especially Christians today, who are trying to but against those of us who are working for a Christian nation, unfortunately, we will have to confront them. And we are going to have those confrontations, even with people who are, quote unquote, on our side, right? They're fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but they've been deceived and the wool's been pulled over their eyes and they don't understand all the ways that the Bible applies to our lives today in society. Okay, so I have two more sections before I do. Jacob, is there anything you would like to add? No, not necessarily. Um, it's it's very true, and I think we discussed this topic specifically a lot when, um, when we went through uh, Greg Bonson's books, uh, both both of the books that we went through talking about presuppositional apologetics, in that the the basis for it is that the enemies don't have truth. Yes, they they want to claim truth, but they don't have truth. Yeah, they inwardly believe the truth, but they but their beliefs do not account for truth. Yeah, um, they know they know the truth, but they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Mm. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yes, indeed, very true. So, my next section that I want to that I want to chat about I've I've labeled it not squaring against the enemy on their ground and Andrew Torba talked a lot about that in this chapter and so I'm kind of just going to collect a lot of his thoughts and and reformulate them a little bit and hopefully share them adequately enough but as always we encourage for all the books we read on the show we encourage everyone to pick up a copy for yourself read along with us have it on your shelf support the author um, because there's so much in each chapter we just we don't get to because we want to encourage you to buy the ch- buy the book yourself and read the chapter yourself. Um, but Andrew Torba explained on page 48 that the reason we're failing so miserably right now, and believe me, if you've listened to any of our current events episodes, we are failing miserably right now as a movement. Um, and the reason we're facing setbacks like getting removed from YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of big tech, the reason that we're getting removed is because we've chosen to face God's enemies on their own turf. It's like, just like Jacob was just uh, uh, mentioning earlier, in presuppositional apologetics, you don't give up your weapon. You don't lay down your sword and let them hack at you with theirs. If you don't do that, the word of God is your sword, is your weapon. You don't put that down just because they don't like it and because they don't acknowledge that it's there. 
It's a sword. It's sharp and powerful, whether you choose to believe it or not. Same is true here. You don't go to their turf and give up your own ground just so that you can, quote unquote, have influence. It's their turf. They're shutting us down because we've given up on having our own platforms. Rather than stepping back and taking the high ground, we jump into the mud and try to wrestle with the alligators, who are far better in the mud than we are. It's not smart of us to do this when we're going to the exact place, the exact environment where they have the advantage and we don't. Wrestling the alligators in the mud when they're the alligators, we're not. Let's face it, they're better at that environment than we are. We have this issue with our businesses, our political affiliations, and even our own children thinking we can send them into the belly of the beast to be a light for Christ. I've heard that so many times. It's just absurd to be a light for Christ when we're in fact sending brand new soldiers into a battle, brand new soldiers into a battle without armor, weapons, or a general. Why would we do that? That's just the tactical advantage we had of having a huge army of soldiers when they can't produce their own soldiers because they're having gay marriage they're having lgbtq garbage they are destroying their own bodies they need our soldiers and we're just giving them to them without sending them with any armor swords or a general to tell them what to do and how to act and we're just hoping for the best and then we're going to say they're going to be a light for christ they're the victims and you you are sending them to the perpetrators. It's utter insanity. Um, Proverbs 26 verse 4 gives us a reminder of this principle when it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. It's Proverbs 26 4. We don't stoop to their level. Uh, we don't need to. We already have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And that's Colossians 2 3. That verse tells us that we have every possible um every possible treasure of wisdom and knowledge in christ to give up the very thing that previous generations used to construct entire civilizations is utter insanity but that's what we do and it's ridiculous okay so that's not squaring against the enemy on their ground and andrew torba talked a lot more about that in his book so you should definitely check that out um okay before i wrap things up with a call to action Jake, anything you'd like to add as a comment just on not giving up our ground, not squaring away with the enemy on their ground and giving up all of our weapons? Yeah, um, I think an analogy that Bruce and I like to use a lot, well, at least I like to use a lot, is the idea of the bunker, right, in the weapons that we have. Oh, I love and, that. And how, um, I don't know, if do you want me to go through the whole anal Do analogy? it. Do it. Okay, all right. So... We look at we look at this bunker. The premillennialist comes to the bunker, uh, looks at the keyhole, looks at the door to the bunker, does, doesn't even care, doesn't open it up, and walks away. Says that we have nothing. The amillennialist comes to the bunker, opens up the bunker, looks inside, says, eh, we have a few AR-15s, eh, we, can't, we can't fight this. They walk away. The postmillennialist comes to the bunker, looks inside, sees the AR-15s, moves away the curtain and finds that we have a nuclear warhead nuclear yeah <laughs> and and then at, turns to turns to his other um other soldiers and asks what weapons does the enemy have oh they ha they have pitchforks yeah we got this <laughs> yeah we got this <laughs> i love it 
Yep. We we yep. have and and really that's to show we we have a nuclear warhead. We yeah. have we have the, the God's word, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and so we need yeah. to use it. <laughs> we have everything we need. Yep. Yeah. All the treasures of knowledge and wisdom are hidden in him. All. It's very inclusive. <laughs> we just <laughs> use expansive. three verses right there. What's to that? paraphrase them. We just yeah. use three verses right there, paraphrasing. But... Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So, yeah, that's a great analogy. Thanks for bringing that up, Jake. Um, did we... Did, wait, where did we get that from? Was that Toby Sumter? I, I know, I made that up. You made that up? Yeah, I made Goodness. that up. Well, look at that. That's that's pretty good. Like it's almost Doug Wilson level of analogy work there. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So we got two minutes left. One minute left. I want to leave you all with a quick call to action. We do this at the end of each of the Christian nationalism episodes because Andrew Torba does, and I think it's a great practice. So, all right. So call to action. We'll never Christianize this nation if. We don't get to work. Uh, page 50, Andrew Torba said, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to feel good about yourself or to live in apathetic complacency as his enemies mock, attack, and destroy truth. He didn't tell us to sit around getting crushed by the enemy waiting to die. We were commanded to make disi disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20. And Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Hebrews 10, 13, end quote. Psalms chapter two. If you're looking for an encouraging passage that shows you the position of the rulers of this world in relation to Christ, Psalms chapter two, I encourage you crack open your Bible, check it out. It's a great passage because what we see is that they're in bondage to Christ. They're already bound and what they want to do is cast asunder those cords. So Psalm chapter two presumes that Christ is already king, presumes that they are already bound and they want to cast their cords off from them. But it says that God laughs. He holds them in derision. God is, Christ is king. God is ruling over this world and has told us to get to work. And that's who we're working for. And we need to remember that. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 32 through 36. I'll leave you with this. Um, and this is actually a, I think we brought this up previously. Oh no, we brought up another verse previously. I'm remembering. Well, okay. So I'll just read through this. Hebrews 10, 32 through 36 says, but recall, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproof, I'm sorry, reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And again, that was Hebrews 10, 32 through 36. So that was some context of our verse of the week, but I think it's a really good verse to end with any final words 30 seconds before we wrap up uh i think uh i like what andrew torba does here and then ending on a good note but i think it, it speaks to a bigger topic 
one maybe we should go over, but that we should, in everything, end on an optimistic note. Mm. As, uh, end every every thought, everything that we do, yeah. optimistically, thinking yeah. ahead uh, and hoping for the future. Yeah, and and so many examples of that in in the Bible of that mm-hmm. happening. In one one particular one uh, that stands out the most is that. Even though in this grim world it looks like we're not going to win, but optim- we have to think optimistically. God calls us to think optimistically in knowing that we will have the victory. Yeah. So. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you all so, so much for listening to us or watching us today. Don't forget, check out our show website, trdshow.net. Send us an email at trdshow at protonmail.com. And we are looking forward to seeing you all on our Friday episode. You do not want to miss this discussion topic. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.